Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More of your calls throughout this hour at 1-800-849-2761. John Feinstein is going to join us momentarily. He is literally the guy who wrote the book on the Army-Navy football rivalry that resumes this Saturday. It's actually the only FBS game of the weekend. They do that intentionally and have done so for about a decade. The Bulls haven't started yet, of course. The conference championship games are over. So Army-Navy gets a nice platform and spotlight alone in FBS football. He is, of course, into many other things. If you want to know why Marvin Miller was a great pick for the Baseball Hall of Fame and how he changed sports in the 20th century more than just about anybody else you can follow john on twitter at j feinstein books and if you need a stocking stuffer or maybe a hardback christmas present he is the most prolific author in the history of american sports authors anyway he he wrote a civil war army versus navy inside college football's purest rivalry remember legends club uh, he also has a recent post at cbssportsradio.com about why the subjects of that recent book dean smith jim valvano and mike shashevsky mean so much to john professionally and personally john welcome back to the david glenn show how are you I'm good, David. How are you? Doing really well. We'll get to hopefully some of those other things, but uh, you were there, you know, inside the Army and Navy programs years ago on your way to writing A Civil War. It's in the title, Inside College Football's Purest Rivalry, the subtitle. Uh, what makes this rivalry so pure as a starting point compared to so many others in college sports? Well, uh, let me start by saying that I, I think I'm still the only person who was not the president at the time, who was inside both the Army and Navy locker rooms during an Army-Navy game. I believe it. When I wrote a Civil War back in 95, which is something I'm very proud of. Um, but the reason I wanted to do the book and the reason I have stayed involved with both programs since then and, and, and still love this day, um, Saturday, uh, is because of the kids, I don't want to say kids, the young men who play in the game. They're just different from those who play in, for lack of a better term, civilian rivalries, whether yeah. it's LSU, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, you, you take your pick, any of the great football rivalries, because of what they're going to do when they graduate. Um, almost none of them will ever play in the NFL. We know there are occasional exceptions, um, maybe once every five or ten years. Uh, someone comes back from serving in the military and ends up playing in the NFL the way David Robinson served in the Navy before he played in the NBA. Uh, but almost none of them will wear any uniform when they graduate other than an Army, Navy, or Marine uniform. And uh, you have to be special. I mean, that, that one of the things I found out uh, spending the time I did with the players back in 95, you got to be special to play Division One football to keep up academically at those schools, which are very difficult. I remember I, I went to an electrical engineering class at Navy one day uh, with, with Andrew Thompson, who was the captain of the team who served in the Marines for 20 years after he graduated and was deployed to Iraq at one point. Uh, thank God he came back. But 
uh, I sat in the class, and as I walked out, the professor said to me, I hope you enjoyed that, Mr. Feinstein. And I said, I have no idea if I enjoyed it because I didn't understand a word you said, <laughs> uh, And which was often true when I went to classes at both schools. And, and third, the military obligations. These kids don't spend the summer. Uh, you know, in the weight room or, or, or in off-season training. They spend their summers uh, on ships uh, at military bases around the country. They, they, they don't get that much of a summer vacation. Uh, and so they're entirely different. Uh, Fred Goldsmith, the old Duke coach, uh, I thought said it best. He coached at Air Force for a number of years. And, and what he said to me was the difference between a civilian football player and an academy football player is is simple. For the civilian player – the hardest part of his day is football practice. Hmm. For the academy player, the easiest part of his day <laughs> is football practice. And I can tell you from having witnessed it up close that, that that's absolutely true. And the other thing about it is is the day itself is unique. You have the march-ons. I've always said Army-Navy is the only football game where the heaviest traffic is three hours before kickoff because everybody's trying to get there to be, when the, be there when the cadets march on, when the midshipmen march on. Uh, and then, you know, we hear the national anthem hundreds of times a year, those of us who, who go to sport, sporting events. And, you know, you just sort of stand there and listen, and is the singer good or whatever. When they play the national anthem at Army-Navy, and you look to your left and you see 4,000 cadet hands snap to salute position and 4,000 midshipmen hands to your right snap to salute position, if you don't get a chill, something's wrong. Because the thing that I always think about is that all 8,000, because it's the only football game where the entire student bodies from both schools are in the stadium, all 8,000 of those young men and women have volunteered to die for our country if necessary. Every one of them understands that, yeah. that they're going to be in the military for five years when they graduate, not just the players, but every, every cadet, every midshipman. And then at the end of the game, when they play the alma maters uh, and the players stand together, uh, as they play each alma mater, which you don't see in other rivalries, of course. Um, and I'm always on the field at the end of the game. And as they're playing the alma maters, my wife inevitably will text me. It's the only football game she watches. Mm -hmm. And she will say, are you crying yet? <laughs> and the answer is always yes, because it gets to me every single time. John Feinstein is joining us on the David Glenn Show. If you have a sports-loving book reader anywhere in your life or on your holiday shopping list, visit his website, jfeinsteinbooks.com. He did not ask me to throw that plug in there, but I'm <laughs> telling you, if you have a, a buddy who likes golf, check out the first major on the Ryder Cup. If you have a friend who loves State, Duke, or Carolina, check out the Legends Club. With a, I, Heck, I covered these guys for a living myself, and I learned a lot uh, as John Chronicle, Dean Smith, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Valvano. I look forward to your column at CBSSportsRadio.com. One thing I wanted to mention specifically about a civil war, you did write it, of course, chronicling a season in the mid-'90s, but I want to remind folks, as somebody who read that book, I remember. I think you told us on a previous visit on our show that it took you years to get the kind of special access that only presidents and John Feinstein gets, and it wasn't just attending that single class. You were, like, up at the crack of dawn and yeah. truly experiencing what these guys' lives are like. Tell us more about that because it goes beyond even the greatness of the Army-Navy football rivalry on the field. Well, it, it did take me a while, David, because uh, I, I had – covered Navy for the Washington Post for years and knew the people at Navy well, and they were understood what I wanted to do, and, and, and they were more than willing to have me. The problem was that Army, 
ironic because I grew up in New York City as an Army fan, but they had a new coach, Bob Sutton, and Bob was just wary of having an outsider have that kind of access in his first year. And he actually did me a favor because the Army-Navy game that, that, that year, Navy was terrible. They were 0-10 going into Army-Navy, and then they won the game 24-3. It wasn't much of a contest. And I went on to other projects, and finally I, I still had it in my mind that I wanted to do this. And uh, in 95, I circled back. And this time Navy had a new coach, but Charlie Weatherby. But fortunately, Jack Lengel, the athletic director, was someone I'd known a long time. You might remember that name from the movie We Are Marshall. Mm, yeah. uh, he was the coach who came in and took over after the tragic plane crash. Uh, but Jack encouraged Charlie Weatherby to grant me the access. And basically... Bob Sutton's players convinced him mm. to give me the access um, that, that I was asking for because I, he allowed me to interview the captains. And when I explained to the captains that I didn't know how much access I'd be getting, they went to Bob Sutton. And Bob Sutton said to me, if, if the firsties, the seniors, want to do this, then I'm not getting in the way. And I ended up becoming very close to Bob. We're still very close. Cool. In fact, to this day, he always sends me a text the day of the Army-Navy game um, about you know how excited he is for the game, and he's even though Army fired him eventually, very unfairly, uh, he still roots for Army, and uh, so I got that access that I wanted in '95. And you're right, I, I, I mean, I went as I said, I spent entire days with cadets and with midshipmen. Uh, and I was up at the crack of dawn with them. I did not do the push-ups that they often <laughs> have the police to do, uh, but I did pretty much everything else. And as I said, um, I was I was in both locker rooms, going back and forth, and on both sidelines during the game. And kind of a funny story that I remember fondly: um, when the game ended, Army won. It was a great game. I got lucky. It was a great game. Army drove 99 yards late to win the game, 14-13, and to save Bob Sutton's job, quite literally. And the Navy seniors, that group of Navy seniors, had lost four straight times to Army by a total of nine points. Mm. So you can imagine how devastated they were. And Andrew Thompson, as I said, was the defensive captain. And, and I have very few pictures of athletes in, on the wall in my office, but one photo I have is of Andrew Thompson crying on my shoulder at the end of the game um, that the Navy photographer Phil Hoffman took and gave to me. And I eventually walked Andrew up the ramp to the locker room along with Gary Patterson, who was then the defensive backs coach for Navy. And he, we literally had to sort of half carry him because mm. he was sobbing. And we walked into the locker room, and Charlie Weatherby was very religious, would always start post-game with a prayer. And we walked in, we were the last ones in, and as we were kneeling, a security guard comes up behind me because I was, of course, in neutral colors because I was going to be on both sidelines. And he taps me on the shoulder and says, come on, buddy, get out of here, you don't belong. And before I could show him my credentials, Andrew Thompson stood up. This is a 6'2", 215-pound guy who served in the Marines for 20 years. <laughs> and he pointed a finger at the guy and he said, he's with us, <laughs> you get out. <laughs> and the guy, you know how Philly security people can be? Yeah, I'm from Philly. The guy did not say a word. He was out of there in about .3 seconds. Good stuff, John Feinstein, and I'm actually going to build on that moment you just described because if I remember correctly, the launching point of your book, A Civil War, Army versus Navy, is right around the moment you just described, maybe just a little bit later. Again, it's John Feinstein on Twitter at Books online. Find all of his award-winning books at jfeinsteinbooks.com. Besides the nonfiction, uh, there's plenty of... Uh, books for young people, and more sports than we could possibly describe. 
uh, right here. In, I wonder if you could put into words your interpretation of these sentiments, because this game has been played since 1890. It has right. been nationally televised. that game. All right, nationally televised in our country every year since 1945, and it is the only FBS game that awaits us this coming weekend on Saturday. Um, I believe the same gentleman you just described, Andrew Thompson, Navy captain, sobbing over four straight losses. How do you describe why and how and what goes into the Army captain, Jim Cantaloupe? Now, he's excited. He just won the Army-Navy game. Right. And yet after the game, he walks down the – who thinks in any rivalry to walk to the losing locker room to console the team captain, Andrew Thompson, on the other team. I think that's how you started the book, and that's, and that's just mesmerizing, book, right? Right, with that scene. And, you know, one of the things about Army-Navy is they always have a press conference the week before the game, uh, and the captains attend the press conference, and they meet one another. And they almost always bond right away because they're going through almost identical experiences as cadets and midshipmen. I've always said only a cadet can understand what it's like to be a midshipman, and only a midshipman can understand what it's like to be a cadet. Mm -hmm. And I throw in the Air Force cadets with that, too, although the Army and Navy guys refer to Air Force as the Country Club Academy because they have <laughs> carpeting on the, on the floors in their dorm rooms. Um, but Cantaloupe and Thompson had met uh, at the, at the uh, press conference, and both were, of course, aware uh, that I was doing the book because I'd, I'd been around both of them throughout the year. And, and, uh, and, and they became friends that day, really. And when they, I was in the Army locker room after they'd won, uh, and they, you know, the, the, you know, the brass always does the speeches, and this is proof of why we're the greatest country in the world and all that kind of stuff. And when that was over, Jim turned to me and he said, do you think it'd be okay to go down to the Navy locker room? I'd like to see Andrew. And I said, let's go. And we walked down the hall. It was in the old vet uh, in Philadelphia. And we got to the locker room, and, and, and the guard kind of looking. Jim's still in his Army uniform. Hmm. And the guard's looking at Jim like, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, right. And, uh, he, and then I said to the guard, he wants to go in and see his, his uh, opposing captain, Andrew Thompson. And the guard kind of shrugged and said, okay. And we walked in, and the Navy players, most of the Navy players were still crying. Um, I'd been in there initially and then run down to the Army locker room. And... And uh, Andrew was sitting in his locker, still crying. And Jim walked over, and he just kind of he tapped him on the shoulder. And Andrew looked up at him and jumped to his feet and hugged him, and sobbed on his shoulder for a while, and said, "I I, I wanted to beat you so badly. I just mm. wanted to beat you so badly." And Jim said, "I know. I understand." And, and he and then Andrew said, "But now we're on the same team. Mm. We're on we're on the same team for the rest of our lives." It was one of the greatest scenes I've ever witnessed uh, as, as a reporter. And, you know, they're still very good friends. They attended each other's weddings. I attended their weddings. Wow. Um, and uh, we are trying, Andrew, Jim, and I are trying, next year is the 25th anniversary of that game. And it's very natural for teams to have reunions, 20th, 25th years, things like that. We're trying to organize a reunion for both teams together, for all the seniors together. Uh, because in a sense, you know, I don't want to sound stupid here, but in a sense, they're bonded by the book. Yeah. And the fact that they were all part of the book and uh, and and understand each other's lives uh, in ways again that nobody else can. So we're going to try to pull that off next year in Philadelphia. 
John Feinstein on Twitter at jfeinsteinbooks, online, jfeinsteinbooks.com. Last thing for you, I encourage folks to check out, of course, all of John's books, but also the recent column he posted at cbssportsradio.com. Share as much of this as you want, and, of course, we'll click on the article for the rest. We could make educated guesses on why Dean Smith, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Valvano, Legends Club, all your other work on college basketball as a newspaper guy. We can guess why they would mean a lot to you professionally. Maybe we'd get it right, maybe we wouldn't. Uh, but elaborate on the personal part of that, if you will, because it's a big statement to, to uh, post such personal feelings about the personal side along with the professional side. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I do a bunch of TV games. Uh, mid-major type games. I do games at VCU, UMBC, Lafayette, Army, wherever anybody will take me because it's fun. I enjoy it. You know how I feel about uh, college hoops in general, but yeah. particularly the, the, the teams and players and kids who aren't in the spotlight all the time. I just wrote a book about it that's coming out in March called, cleverly enough, The Back Roads to March. Cool. And I was doing a VCU game on Saturday night uh, against ODU, and late in the game I heard myself again using one of my favorite Jim Valvano quotes when a player from ODU came up from behind uh, VCU's point guard Marcus Evans and poked the ball out of his hands. And Jim used to say to his players, you know, when you go buy a guy, do you think he goes out and buys a hot dog? <laughs> or is he going to come up from behind and try to steal the ball from you? You've got to be aware of the guy coming up behind you. And I use that line, which I use frequently. And as I was driving home from Richmond late that night, it occurred to me how often not just on TV, but in general, I quote those three guys. I, yeah. You know, I always repeat the, 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 what Dean Smith said to me about being involved in desegregating churches, uh, churches, excuse me. They, he, I heard the story from his pastor, but desegregating restaurants in Chapel Hill in 1958 when I brought it up to him. And he said, I wish, I wish Reverend Seymour hadn't told you that story. And, and he, I said, why? You should be proud of that. And he, he looked at me and said, you should never be proud of doing the right thing, John. You should just do the right thing. Right. Which is a line that I, I get chills every Me time too. I repeat it. Me too. And, uh, and you know, Mike, Mike Krzyzewski talking about dealing with failure and how much West Point taught him about how to use failure to get better. And, and as I was sitting there in the car thinking about this, I, I thought to myself, how incredibly lucky mm. were you? To, to get to know these three men. I mean, these are three icons as coaches, but more as men. Uh, very different, as everybody in North Carolina For says. For sure. Very different personalities. But all men who touch people's lives to an extraordinary extent. Uh, and again, in different ways. And I, I was so lucky to spend the time with Dean that I did when I was a young reporter and with Jim. And to still be able to spend time with Mike Krzyzewski. Um, and I might have told you this story that when I was researching the Legends Club, I spent four straight days with him. And at the end of the fourth day, I said to him, you know, we give each other a hard time a lot because we do. Um, but I hope you know how much I appreciate you're giving me all this time. And he said, oh, no, John, I should thank you. And I said, well, why should you thank me? And he said, John, I'm Catholic. When I die, I can tell God I've already been through purgatory. <laughs> and that's the, the funny side of Mike that you don't see that often. But he's very quick that way. Oh, no doubt about and, it. And, and, you know, Dean had a very dry sense of humor. And, of course, Valvana was fall down funny. Um, but I, that's what the column is about, just how fortunate 
I, you know, I, I, I knew it then, but as you get older and you look back and, and I miss Jim all the time and I miss Dean all the time and I'm so glad I still get to talk to Mike, um, you realize, I realize even more so now not how lucky so much I was to write the book, although I was, but how lucky I was to spend the time I got to spend with them. It's funny, man. I'm a little bit younger than you, but I did cross paths with all three guys just this week because of V Week. You know, we we have uh, right. talked about never give up, the, you know, and some of the more obvious ones, but also some uh, anecdotal stories. And I'll never forget. And your your story just gave me chills from Coach Smith because I spent uh, gosh a decade or so just with significant access to him. Uh, one I always remember at any stressful time of life is is his talking in the context of an upcoming, you know, do or die end of the world college basketball game, maybe Duke Carolina or something else. You know, David, there are a billion Chinese that aren't concerned right. and won't even know who wins or loses. Right. I, I still I, hear I, things I like that. I remember when I was working on the book and I and I, w- I was able to interview his wife, Linnea, at great length. She couldn't have been couldn't have been nicer to me, but she said to me that early in their marriage she under, came to understand that Dean knew that basketball was never life and death, yeah. but competing was deadly serious because nobody was more serious about competing right, right. than Dean, with the possible exceptions of Jim Valvano and Mike Schiavone, <laughs> who were also equally competitive. His uh, Coach K's story about his mom telling him to get on the right bus actually came up on today's show. So <laughs> we are a living, breathing, statewide example of, of the sentiments that you just shared with us. As always, yeah, thank you. And, and, you yeah. know, um, the, the, the story I remember, for, again, from the book, uh, that Mike, Mike talked about his mother a lot. And, yeah. and I spent a lot of time with him in 96, 97 when I was doing uh, my ACC book, March to Madness, and that was the year his mom had died in September. And what I'll never forget of all the memories of that book, of which I have many, uh, they beat Carolina in a great game in Cameron. They hadn't beaten them in Cameron for four years. Um, and they beat him in a great game. Jeff Capel hit the big shot at the end. Uh, that was Dean's last team. And at the end of the game, I went into the locker room, and the players were all gathered there waiting for Mike to come in. But there was no Mike. And so I went back to the coaches' lounge area, and I found Mike on his knees in the middle of the lounge area just crying his eyes out. And I said, I said are you okay? And he, all he said was, I just miss my mom so much, mm. and and he will tell you all the time that he never would have become who he became without his mom and his dad. His name is John Feinstein, man. You're always gracious with us and generous with your time. Uh, it's meaningful stuff. Like, I really appreciate your books, of course, but the, the personal stuff is great, too. So happy holidays to you and yours, and, and thanks for your time on the David Glenn Show. My pleasure, David, and happy holidays to all of you, too. You got it. 1-800-849-2761. Your phone call's on the other side. We've got on-the-field stuff, Army, Navy, and college football, the Heisman Trophy presentation on Saturday night. Week 15 action in the NFL actually begins tonight with the Jets at the Ravens. There are several good games awaiting us on Sunday as well. The Carolina Hurricanes continue their road trip tonight, a little late night with the Canes at Vancouver. Kawhi Leonard had a happy home homecoming in Toronto last night as a member of the L.A. Clippers, got his championship ring and heard MVP chants from the Raptors fans, even as he wore that L.A. uniform. Devontae Graham continues his torrid streak for the Charlotte Hornets. Former second-round pick put up a 40-burger last night as the Hornets beat the Nets. The President's Cup in golf, college basketball this coming weekend. Wake 
Carolina and State all return to action after exams. College football and, of course, the questions of the day linger. The most popular so far is this one. Who's the greatest single pro athlete you've ever seen in a team sport who just never got enough help to win big? Mike Trout of the L.A. Angels has been the best or one of the best players in baseball for eight years, and the Angels haven't won a single postseason series in that time. He just got more help thanks to the signing of Anthony Rendon and others. Will he be more like Anthony Davis, who after years in purgatory in New Orleans has finally found the right bus to get on in the form of the L.A. Lakers, or will he end up more like a Barry Sanders who was individually brilliant throughout but almost never had much in terms of a supporting cast. You can chime in on that question of the day. You can take us to one of those other headlines or topics I mentioned. Coaches at their alma maters also in play today. Sean Clark promoted to the full-time head coach position with App State football as the Mountaineers prepare for a bowl game. Eli Drinkwitz off to Missouri. Coach Clark was interim yesterday. He will officially become the head coach. He is a former Mountaineers offensive lineman. That inspired the question of the day. What's the best or worst example you recall of a head coach at his alma mater, there have been great success stories like Roy Williams at UNC in basketball, like even Scott Satterfield at App State in football before he left for Louisville. There have been some train wrecks as well. We're picking over those at 1-800-849-2761, and you could be next on The David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Was, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Lines open for the first time in a long time. Appreciate the extended chat with really. We recently had the most prolific legal thriller author in American history as a guest, John Grisham, on sports stuff and other matters. The most prolific sports author I know is John Feinstein, Army, Navy, and many, many others. It is a big weekend in college football. The Heisman Trophy will be presented to Joe Burrow of LSU in all likelihood. That ceremony is in New York City on Saturday. Army-Navy gets the FBS-level spotlight by itself as that rivalry, which originated in 1890 and has been nationally televised in our country every year since 1945, resumes after a whole bunch it was 14 wins in a row for the navy side of the equation we're actually at three in a row for the army side so a little closer to balance compared to the one-sided nature of it over a decade plus 1-800-849-2761 if you're just joining us you can jump in on the nfl college football coaching carousel college hoops president's cup nba nhl or other headlines of the day or you can tackle the question of the day the main one came in honor of Mike Trout of the LA Angels, one of the best, if not the best, baseball player for the entirety of his eight-year MLB career, has never been on a team that won a single playoff series. That is the essence of being great individually while stuck with a franchise that can't build enough around you. We'll see if that's changing. Washington Nationals third baseman Anthony Rendon signed with Mike Trout's Angels for seven years and $245 million. The broader question has brought stories of Archie Manning and Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson and uh, 
Larry Fitzgerald of the Cardinals and other great NFL players of the past, Ernie Banks, Dale Murphy, and other great baseball players of the past. And in some cases, you take Anthony Davis, unsupported to an unforgettable degree in New England or, or in New Orleans in NBA action, but now at least surrounded by LeBron James and others where his individual brilliance will be complemented by at least enough to give him a chance to not only make the postseason, but make a postseason run, maybe even a long run this year. 1-800-849-2761. The question became, who is that greatest single pro athlete in a team sport you've ever seen where he was insanely good, he just never got enough help from ownership or management or his teammates to win big. 1-800-849-2761. That is your ticket into the program. I'll get you caught up on some headlines after we come back to your calls. I think one of the best examples or answers to the question of the day that has not been mentioned yet is about to come from Donatus in Raleigh. You are next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, DG. Thanks for taking my call, man. Sure, man. You've got, the, you've got one of the right answers for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so a little love for trench warriors because uh, a lot of attention is being paid to the specialists. Yep. Um, I'm going to give you two of them, and it's uh, Trent Williams and Joe Thomas. Uh, Trent Williams at times has had maybe enough talent around him, but thanks to front office woes, has never had a shot. Um, and Joe Thomas, uh, God bless him, man. Right. <laughs> and, and what's the number? Joe was what, the longest consecutive game streak and yet almost always an all-pro personally while almost always on bad teams. I mean, did Joe Thomas get to a playoff game? I'm trying to remember. Did he never even get even to a game? It. I don't even think he made the playoffs. Yeah, that's just painful. And Williams has. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So one's just a more extreme version of the other, but they're both good answers right. to the question of the day, man. That one hurts. That one hurts like the Mike Trout story to this point hurts. When you're that good that consistently for eight years and you get nothing, I, I don't want you to have to end your career in that sort of misery. So maybe that, that ship is about to turn. Joe Thomas, the story is over. It, there, there's no happy ending. It is what it is. I mean, he's, a, he's still an interesting story, and he's gotten a lot of love in part because of ex exemplary player on and off the field simply ends up this consistent, amazing offensive lineman, never lets you down, always shows up for work, always handles his job, and yet the lowly Browns could never build anything of significance around him. That's a great answer, Mike Trout-like to the question of the day. I'm just optimistic for Trout. The Joe Thomas story is always going to be ugly that way. It's too late for him. Even Larry Fitzgerald and some of today's other answers at least had that one moment in the sun. Even if it was surrounded by two decades of mediocre teams, at least he got to the top of the mountain. 1-800-849-2761. Because we talked for so long with John Feinstein, I'm a little late on a break, so let me hit another one of those. We'll get to Joe. We'll get to Bill. We'll get to you on the headlines of the day, and I'll get you caught up on some other things as well. Jets at Ravens tonight might not sound interesting at first glance or sound, but the Ravens have won a team record nine straight. Lamar Jackson is the MVP candidate, of course. He specified that he will play tonight despite being listed as questionable after being limited in practice several days this week because of a quadriceps injury. Of course, the Ravens half of the equation is interesting Thursday night football style. You might have forgotten that the Jets have won four of their last five. 
and with Sam Darnold at the controls, at least look like a competitive football team. So maybe not the best matchup of NFL Week 15, but more compelling than maybe a month ago Jets at Ravens might have sounded. Meanwhile, do you know how many teams in the entire NFL are top 10 offensively in the efficiency rankings, top 10 defensively in the efficiency rankings, and top 10 on special teams? in the efficiency rankings. There are only two in the entire National Football League. I'll tell you who they are and who you might expect to be there but is not. Meanwhile, did you know that there is only one team in the NFL that is bottom 10 offensively, bottom 10 defensively, and bottom 10, 10 in special teams? Only one out of 32. I promise you it is not who you think it is. Those answers with more of your calls next on The David Glenn Show. Rob Schneider joining us on the David Glenn Show. When they try to have three days of the NFL draft on TV, my friend said, hey, you going to watch the NFL draft? That's like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction. <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months? There's going to be some breasts in there. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last call for phone calls is right now on the headlines of the day and the questions of the day. I do have some quick email answers for you. DG, how many head coaches at their alma mater have led their football teams to the national championship? Sean Clark, new head coach at App State, is a former Mountaineers offensive lineman, so we add him to this list that in basketball includes Roy Williams at Carolina. That is his alma mater. Of course, he has three national titles. Jim Beheim at Syracuse, that is his alma mater. He played for the Orange. He led that Carmelo Anthony team to the national championship while at Syracuse. There are other examples on the basketball side beyond those guys. But on the football side, the only recent examples of guys leading their own alma mater to the national title, and I mean FBS, I'm not talking FCS or low, lower divisions, 21 years ago, Philip Fulmer, Tennessee grad, led the Volunteers to the national title. Earlier in the 90s, Steve Spurrier, Florida grad and Heisman Trophy winner with the Gators, led those Gators to the national championship. And a guy named Bear Bryant led the Alabama Crimson Tide to a whole bunch of national titles. He is an Alabama alum, 1-800-849-2761. DG, what, who will be hired at Boston College, did you know, there is only one Power 5 head coaching vacancy as we speak. Remember, Arkansas has been filled. Florida State got Mike Norvell from Memphis. Missouri got Eli Drinkwitz from App State. Ole Miss got Lane Kiffin from Florida Atlantic. Rutgers went into the Wayback Machine and rehired Greg Schiano, the only guy that's ever led Rutgers football to a place of relevance, at least in my lifetime. Washington, Chris Peterson retired, and then they promoted from within. So all the other Power 5 vacancies have already been filled, not so at Boston College. Do I know whom the Eagles will hire for sure? No, I do not. Do I know Martin Jarman, the Eagles athletic director? And do I know that he came from the Ohio State University, which you may have heard has a really good and deep and rich football tradition? And do I know that Martin Jarman has interviewed two members of the current Ohio State football staff? Yes, 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 and yes. One guy's name is Jeff Halfley. He's the co-defensive coordinator there. 
Another guy's name is Al Washington. He's the linebackers coach there. They have both interviewed for the Boston College football job as the only Power Five opening is that one in the ACC. Steve Adazio, dismissed, is off to Colorado State in the Mountain West Conference, so he already has a new job. By the way, Florida State's dismissed coach, Willie Taggart, also has a new job already. He's the head coach at Florida Atlantic, succeeding Lane Kiffin, who's off to Ole Miss. So the Boston College opening is the only prominent one left, really. Might it be Jeff Halfley of the Buckeyes? Might it be Al Washington of the Buckeyes? I'm not sure. Halfley is an interesting dude for them because he's originally from New Jersey. BC, like a lot of schools in the Northeast, recruits the heck out of New Jersey because the only prominent school there is Rutgers in the Big Ten, and nobody's wanted to go to Rutgers for a long, long time. So whether it's, you know, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, BC, uh, you know, Penn State, Pitt, others, Nebraska back in the day, they've all recruited New Jersey a lot. Jeff Halfley is from there. He has recruited the Northeast and New Jersey for Pitt and Rutgers and now Ohio State as an assistant coach. He also spent seven years as an assistant in the National Football League, so he has experience with the Buccaneers and the Browns and the 49ers and the pro game. I don't know that he's going to get the job, but he certainly sounds like an intriguing candidate to me. That is Ohio State's co-defensive coordinator, Jeff Halfley. We'll see where that goes. And one brief shout-out. There's a guy named Drew Kronick. He used to play at Georgia. He's originally from the state of Georgia and then played for the Bulldogs. I know it's only Division II, but Lenore Rhine in our backyard, they're based in Hickory, North Carolina, which if you've never been there, it's like an hour northwest of the Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina. This guy showed up at Lenore Rhine, which just made the Division II Elite Eight, the final eight of the D2 playoffs. Before he got there, they were winning like three games a year. His first year, they went 12-2 and two and made the playoffs and went undefeated in conference play, winning the conference title. His second year, meaning this one, he went 13-1, and one, made the Elite Eight, and posted a second consecutive undefeated record in conference play. So you're like, your top 10 in the nation your first year, your top 10 in the nation your second year at a program that was winning three games a year prior to your arrival. That is an amazing reversal of fortune. To his credit, he did that, and guess what? Others noticed that he did that. So he has been hired away from Division II, Lenore Ryan. Remember, Mercer just showed up in Chapel Hill to take their beating as an FCS program to the North Carolina Tar Heels of Mac Brown. That was Carolina's late-season FCS opponent, and they just poured it on. Well, Mercer went through a coaching change, Drew Kronick of Lenore Ryan right here in our backyard. It was only a matter of time when you do what he did as quickly as he did. Reminds me a little bit of Mike Houston. You know, the new, the first-year ECU coach, just look at his background at lower-level schools, and he was just great and great and great and great, including some turnarounds. Drew Kronick, former Georgia Bulldog, now the head coach at Mercer, which, is, that, if you didn't know, that school is located in his home state of Georgia. 1-800-849-2761. Let me try Stephen Greensboro. This name may have come up, but it's worth reinforcing on the alma mater question. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, DG. How you doing? Doing great, man. You have a great answer to the question of the day. Go for it. Well, there was a guy that spent about a quarter of a century in Blacksburg, Virginia, who actually graduated from the school where he was coaching. I know him well. He was a guest on our show many times. Go ahead and say it. Yeah, Frank Beamer uh, played for Virginia Tech back in the day, and uh, they honor his number to this very day. Yep. 
25, right? Yeah, special teams player of the of the week. Yeah, and it's crazy. When you go back through history, whomever we think of as the greatest coaches of all time, 90% of them did not coach at their alma mater. The, the Roy Williams and the Frank Beamer stories are among the exceptions. Like John Wooden is not a UCLA grad. Mike Krzyzewski is not a Duke grad. Nick Saban is not an Alabama grad. Dabo Sweeney is not a Clemson grad. Whether we go into the Wayback Machine or more modern times, it's true, like 90% of the time. Uh, there's the, the best description I ever got, and thanks for the call, Steve. Somebody told me that the best part of coaching at your alma mater is that you don't feel like a hired gun. Like, you have to manufacture love for good old state university. A lot of these assistant coaches, man, they're like 10 different schools over 20 years. And you're wearing that golf shirt with that logo. You got to manufacture love for the school that is signing your paychecks. Let's be real about it. It is not sentimental. It is not from your heart or soul. And when you're at your alma mater, these guys will say it feels more authentic, more genuine. You know what they say is the downside of it? Rather than criticism when things going go bad, being faceless, nameless criticism, when you're getting hammered by people at your own alma mater, and in some cases they're like your old classmates or people you've gotten to know personally while coaching at your alma mater, it hurts more, man, because it's not as nameless or as faceless as often. There's an upside, there's a downside. Congratulations to Sean Clark getting to coach at App State, his alma mater. By the way, the only NFL team in the bottom 10 of all three phases of the game is your Carolina Panthers. Go to footballoutsiders.com. You'll see the numbers. The only two teams in the top 10 in all three phases are the Ravens, who host the Jets tonight, and the New Orleans Saints. Top 10 offense and defense and special teams. I knew the Panthers were bad. I didn't know they would be that bad. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Back round of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the Thanks to Army grad Chris Patola for dropping by to talk college hoops. John Feinstein, Army Navy guru, on a whole bunch of things. TV picks include an NBA doubleheader, Sixers, Celtics, Jets, Ravens, of course, in the NFL, and college hoops, too. Enjoy the game. See you tomorrow. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.